Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to Popcorn and Compliance, podcast series where we take a look at movies and try to mine them for leadership and compliance lessons learned. I'm going to begin a series with my colleague Richard Lummis, where we're going to look at movies, and we're going to focus a little bit more on leadership than compliance, but we'll also talk about some of the compliance lessons learned that you can use as you move forward, moving up the ladder to hopefully become a chief compliance officer. It's going to be a fun series. I know you'll enjoy Richard's insights. He's got some great insights. Obviously, a little little bit different than Jay Rosen and Megan Doherty, but that's what makes this series so great. I know you will enjoy it. Today, we take up an Oscar-winning sports movie, Chariots of Fire, and what lessons from leadership can you draw? But first, a quick word from our sponsor, and we'll be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So, Tom, where shall we start? What lessons do you think we can learn from these athletes from a bygone era? Richard, uh, first of all, it's great to be back with our uh, best picture or leadership lessons from from the Oscars. In researching this movie, I found quite a bit of uh, leadership lessons. And the two, the three main characters that uh, you mentioned from Chariots of represented actually three different types of leadership. The first, Eric Liddell, clearly charismatic. In many of the scenes, or particularly the first half of movie scenes, showed Liddell preaching to crowds after races, before races, giving testimony, a level of humility where he would uh, not only work with children, but uh, give autographs and uh, help them out. He preached in churches talked about things that were important to him, which was his mission as he sought to spread the word of God. Then we had Harold Abrams. And Harold, I think the day's phrase would be, he's wound a little tight. And uh, there are some great lines in here. First, from Sam Musabini that says a hundred yard dash, which what Abrams ran as a short sprint run on nerves. It's tailor made for neurotics. And Mr. Abrams was definitely a neurotic. Nevertheless, he sustained a very large transformation and truly became a a transformational leader because of the innate drive he had. And finally, Sam Musabini was the professional coach hired by Abrams. And Musabini was a different type of leader. He was a very direct, directive leader. And so I found leadership lessons from each one of those, and perhaps we can unpack them one at a time starting with uh, Liddell. So he really probably had the most God-given talent of anyone portrayed in the movies. 
and he ran because he loved running and he loved running, period. And he uh, really seemed to uphold or embody the Olympic motto of Altius and Fortius, which transfers and translates to swifter, higher, stronger, which became the Olympic motto in 1924. And his racing scenes early on demonstrated a level of not only ability and commitment, but uh, as a leader, Liddell possessed a outstanding emotional emotional intelligence. He was self-aware. He was good at understanding not only what motivated himself, but what motivated others. And that went to both his ministry, his working with children, and within his family as he would talk to family members who questioned his devotion to their missionary work in light of his running, where he tied both together and explained them in a way that allowed at least him to try and articulate a reason for both. Also, he had a high level of self-management, certainly training. In a key race scene, he was knocked down by a French runner and uh, stood up and uh, not only caught the pack after uh, cleaning himself off, but also won the race. And the research I saw, the people who actually saw that found that to be one of the greatest races they'd ever seen, just basically on the raw determination of Eric Liddell. Yeah, well, that's interesting. And then, <clears throat> actually, I want to address a very minor character who was a Lindsay. I'm not sure if he was he held the uh, the title yet, but he was either a lord or the son of a lord. One scene, he's running the hurdles yes. to improve his form with glasses of champagne balanced on each hurdle. But at the climactic scene where Liddell refuses to run in the heats on Sunday, with this impasse, the head of the British Olympic Committee has tried to convince the French to change it, hoping to play off their debt to England from the Great War and their innate unscrupulousness, and uh, failed. The Prince of Wales, later Edward VIII, also tries to convince Liddell, and he stands firm. And the only thing that broke the impasse was when Lindsay steps up and says, I've already won a silver medal, why don't you take my place in the 400? So that's a sacrificial form of leadership, which we've never really discussed. You're absolutely right, and that's a great point. First of all, though, I once upon a time tried to run the hurdles, and actually we put pennies on them. To, that's how you could tell if you were if you'd hit a hurdle. For the champagne. I price. think that probably and probably knowing your you would also prefer to have your lead servant uh, there <laughs> lining it up for you. But, but of course, and then having a, a nice cool refresher. If not running them. Yes, if not running them for you. But for in that scene, the climactic scene when they're trying to make the determination of when and which race Liddell will race in, I think a key leadership point was at some points, sometimes you just have to firmly say, I'm not going to compromise. Yeah. And he wouldn't compromise. And that led to, it was Lord Lucan. Lindsay became Lord Lucan. Actually, he was Lord Lucan during the movie. So he must have gotten the title when his father passed away. He made the decision to sacrifice his racing in the 400 because uh, Lindsay was uh, Liddell rather was going to race in the 100 so it's a great point we haven't really focused on sacrificial leadership and maybe we should take that up but the other thing I wanted to bring up was that Eric Liddell really uh, exemplified a couple of other things and we got to the don't compromise but also he saw crashing with Abram he saw the race in the bigger picture whether you call it life as a race whether a race or one particular even major project to you is just one step. And it took me a long time to learn that. So it's, not the, uh, it's not the destination, it's the journey. And whereas Abram really focused on the destination for him was the end of the race. 
and whether he won or lost, most particularly if he won, but also if he lost, that was going to be a destination for him as well. And Liddell saw it as one extension of his ministry, but it was a much longer picture, and he was able to see a bigger picture and to utilize his native talents or God-given talents as a runner into what he viewed as his true calling, which was his ministry. Yeah, I'd also like to address another sort of subplot, which was Abraham's kind of the professional approach. And at one point he says it's a very interesting scene where the fellows of Keyes College in Cambridge are arguing that by hiring a professional coach, he's tainted the amateur ideal. And his point is that, yeah, you think everybody's supposed to win, it's supposed to be effortless, and it's certainly supposed to look effortless. But he says, that's not the way it works. I'm doing this the hard way. I've got a coach, and I'm going to carry the future with me, I think is his phrase. And the Americans also come in, and they're scorned because they have a a more or less professional training approach as well. Um, And so you have these two opposing worldviews of the amateur ideal, which in theory governs the Olympics versus the professionalism that the movie kind of presents as taking over the world. And so I guess in that sense, Abraham's also represents a a long-term view of the world. Let me start with that to talk about Abrams, because you're absolutely right in the scene where Sir John Gielgud plays one of the fellows of his college, I think Cassius College, Cambridge. And the quote you have is absolutely correct. And Abrams' reaction to it really revealed something to me, which is his innovative way of thinking. And he recognized that even with as much talent as he had, his innate talent, he needed a professional coach to take him to another level. And I highlighted that quote as well, where he said, I believe in the pursuit of excellence, and I'll carry the future with me. And I'd really focus on the first part of that, not the second part. And in the pursuit of excellence, he needed additional technical skills. I don't think it was really a technical approach, or technology rather, but it was greater technical skills in his training. And but Abrams, as I said, was he was wound pretty tight and he he had a lot of inner demons in the movie. It was presented as being a stranger in a strange land, the son of a Jewish immigrant in a largely Anglo Christian environment. Nevertheless, he really internalized the running to define him as opposed to Liddell. And at one point he and Liddell raced and he lost to Liddell and He was going to quit because he said he only raced to win. And if he didn't um, win, he had no desire to race. And that's a pretty destructive attitude. It's a destructive attitude personally, and it's certainly a destructive attitude, I think, for a leader. And fortunately, that, of course, is the low point for him in the movie. From your screenwriting classes, you're two-thirds of the way through. The protagonist is his low ebb, and he's about to come back. And sure enough, Sam Musabini says, Mr. Abrams, I could find you another two steps. And so they start their professional relationship. But there was a couple of other things that struck me about the really nature of Abrams in terms of occasionally you have to put your foot down and not compromise. And one of those, in this, I think in the same scene where he was confronted at uh, Cassius College, Cambridge, by the college fellows when they accused him of utilizing a professional coach and that he had lost the true amateur idea. And you spoke about it in terms of one of the conflicts in the movie of amateur versus professionalism. And his response was, I am a Cambridge man first and last. I am an Englishman first and last. 
what I have achieved, what I intend to achieve as for my family, my university, and my country. Gentlemen, you yearn for victory just as I do, but achieved with the apparent effortlessness of God's. I believe in the pursuit of excellence, and I'll carry the future with me. And I really appreciated the way that almost when his patriotism was called into question, whether that be he, because of his Jewish background or not, I thought his, the power in his statement and really putting his foot down and saying no, much as Liddell did later in the movie as well. So with Abrams, he was a person who needed direction. But when the professional innovative coach arrived, he took direction and he utilized the information and he fully embraced the training techniques, utilized the information because part of Mussolini's, a large part of Mussolini's approach was a psychological approach to get inside the head of your your opponent to understand, not to, not to turn them, but to understand where their weaknesses might be. And for the weakness of the American sprinter who had won the Charlie Paddock, who'd won it in 1920, it was that he leapt across the finish line. And if you've ever raced, you're told never to leap because when you leap, you slow down and you want to drive with your feet. And Abrams learned to drive and lean into the tape. So that was a technical approach that allowed him to become the transformational leader. It comes up again and again, the need as a leader to recognize your weak point and when to reach out and get help. And for Abrahams, it was only after he had lost and was at that low point that he was willing to consider reaching out that way. Now, I would argue that for him, running also served the higher purpose of helping to defeat anti-Semitism in order to smooth his path into English society, which arguably is a less noble goal than the Dells. But I think to him, for him also, running was a means to a larger purpose. And I think he finally realized that at the end, although one of the powerful scenes at the end of the movie was when he and Sam got drunk after the after the race and he wasn't with his teammates. Nevertheless, it was a celebration of what he and Sam had created together. And Sam, being played by Ian Holm, was, for me, as equally a fascinating character. And part of it was because, obviously, he had the technical skills to coach. But what he had to do was give Harold Abrams confidence. And he had to get inside his head to have him overcome the demons he had to run at his highest level of his capability, which he did in the finals of the 24 Olympics. Being able to understand what the people working for you, your students, whatever they might be called, need is a huge plus for any business leader. And we certainly saw that with Sam Musabini. Yeah, I thought this was a fascinating movie. I'm really glad that... um got a chance to see it again. I hadn't seen it in years. And I think it has really held up well. It remains a gorgeously filmed movie, an interesting look at a historical period that is long gone. But anyway, I recommend it to you all. And I would just add, Richard, that for the other thing that struck me was the period pieces and the information it communicated about that time at that point in English society. And obviously, or the one that probably has stuck with me the most and struck me the most when I first saw it was when Abrams arrived at Cambridge and he got off the train and his bags were portered by two obviously retired army infantrymen, non-officers, and one had to have his face blown off. And they were still mates. They were still hanging together. And the one who had not been as severely injured, at least outwardly, said to the other, we fought this war for people like him. And when I first 
saw that, I thought he was saying it in scorn towards either, at that point, I guess I hadn't realized the anti-Semitism. I thought it was just an upper class, lower class. But then in, in re-watching this movie for this podcast, I thought maybe he was trying to communicate that's why we fought the war to end all wars. Yeah. And then the second point was when they had their inaugural dinner at Cassie's College, when they appointed the all-male student body to the list of Cambridge men killed in the war. And you saw the human toll of what it, it did to the United Kingdom and, as the Brits would say, our million dead from World War One. So just those sorts of pieces showed where British society was, even in 1924. And for as much as you and I like history, we love to see those little tidbits that really bring history to the fore. Yeah. No, it's a well-made movie. I highly recommend it. And I'm pleased how many leadership lessons we were able to extract from it. Until next time, this is Richard Lummis and Tom Fox. This is Tom Fox again. Thank you for listening to this episode of Popcorn and Compliance. I hope you'll join Richard and I again as we continue to explore leadership lessons from classic Oscar-winning movies. I'd also like to tell you about a great new podcast series, which has premiered on the Compliance Podcast Network. That's The Corruption Files, where with Hughes Hubbard partner Mike D. Bernardis, we take a look at some of the top anti-corruption compliance enforcement actions across the globe. It's a great review of enforcement actions, literally 15 years old and coming forward, what they meant then, and what they continue to mean now, all on the Compliance Podcast Network. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.